Well, good evening. This evening, we're going to continue this walk that we've been doing, and um, this walk of Jesus encountering people on his way to Calvary. And, um, and I don't know about you, but it's really been a, I've, I've really been encouraged by this, and the different people and different circumstances in life, and, um, and this evening we're going to be looking, as Janice said, to the area of Jesus cleansing the ten lepers. This community of the living dead, this group of lepers that were excluded and on the edge, and, and um, you know, really, I think this uh, journey should take us through Calvary that we're looking at. And uh, Calvary's the door. And then it's going to take us, as we march on over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go and take a glimpse at the empty tomb together on Easter. And, um, and that's the cornerstone of our faith. Um, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, Paul said, we're of all men most miserable. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then we might as well go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die and there's no hope. So taking that trip past the empty tomb is really important. Um, I think um, the real destination that God wants us as his followers to end up is in his very presence with Jesus reigning, victorious over the grave, victorious over every name that's named, victorious over every disease's name that's going to get us one way or the other. He's going to be victorious and is victorious over that name. And, and I think even as followers of Christ, the Lord wants us to grow in our understanding of what it looks like to have Jesus reigning. And he is reigning, even though we don't see it with our eyes yet. And he wants us as his children to enter into that, what that looks like in our lives. Um, so I think the real destination is in his, in his place. As we talked about many times over the last few months, that, um, that life and ministry flow out of relationship with him. And I think we're going to see this a little bit tonight. Um, Jesus wants to transform the community of the living dead to the community of those raised from the dead, those people that are forgiven, those people that are children of God and know that their right relationship with him, not because of our own greatness, but because of his greatness. And I think as we let that sink into us and day by day as we live our lives with him and and we revisit this whole area of forgiveness and being children of God and being right with God because of his goodness and his gift, uh, it's transforming. And it will transform this community into the community of those that are alive from the dead. So, guys, listen as I read in Luke 17. And you can follow me if you would like, Luke 17, 11 through 19. And we'll just jump right into this, um, this amazing story. Luke 17, 11 to 19. <clears throat> and while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. 
And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That is uncomfortable, isn't it? Like Chris was saying last week. But these guys in unison just cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Father, bless our time in this section of your word. I pray that it would just come alive to us and that you would show us your awesome grace and awesome mercy and how that affects our lives um, even today. Lord, we just look to you as our teacher and we just ask you to um, just strengthen us and help us grow up, help us represent you well here on the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The lepers. Verses 11 and 12 says this. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These guys, as we know, historically, the guys that were lepers were, had, a, had a terminal disease. It was a death sentence. They were highly contagious. There was no hope. And not only that, but because, of the, because it was highly contagious, that according to the law, they were not allowed to be in the gathering of Israel. So they were always on the edge. And, and we see that where they stood at a distance. That's just the lot that was given to them because of their disease. And um, they were social outcasts, not only because of the disease, but because of their religion. That was the rule. You're on the edge. You're not allowed to come in and participate in the community. They were literally untouchables. They not only bore the weight of having a terminal disease, but they were totally rejected socially. They were on the edge. They had no hope. I think God allows us to see this pretty dark picture with the understanding that not only they went through this, but they're a type in a picture of our place spiritually before we come into the faith. We all have a terminal spiritual disease. We might be alive, but we really, until we come into the faith, are are members of this fellowship of the living dead that these guys were members of. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
We're dead in our transgressions and our sins. I really encourage you guys to take a look at the book of um, Ephesians chapter, especially chapter 2. And, I, and make a list when you have some time. I'm going to go, go through my list real quickly, but it describes who we are in descriptive terms about us having being in this community of the living dead before we come to know the Lord. We're dead in our sins. And then beside that, it gives the contrast to that, who we are now that we've received our forgiveness from the Lord Jesus. Now we've been made children of God. He put to death the old man and he made us a new creature. But we're dead in our sins. By nature, we're children of wrath, separate from Christ, excluded, strangers, aliens, no hope, no hope without God in this world, far off. There are barriers between us and God. There's enmity between us and God. We're at war with him. Not reconciled, broken down, bankrupt. Just a few of the words that describe our condition as being members of this community of the living dead. They raise their voices. You know, I don't know, that's been one, one thing that's kind of stood out to me as we've been going through this study, because in almost every case when people were speaking, they were raising their voices. They were, they were desperate for help. They didn't care what anybody thought. They were grabbing hold, help us, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They didn't care if people were offended. That was their hope. And that desperation also reflects a passion for God, I think. It it excludes all the fluff in life, and we know it's really critical, and we know we need God, and we lay hold of him. I, I I think the Lord loves that characteristic. We see it all through the word. We say, see Jacob ripping off his brother with passion. Now, that passion had to be redirected, right? But Jacob was passionate. He knew that birth. He knew that birthright was worth something. We see, um, <laughs> we see Jacob wrestling with the Lord, as if that could happen all night. But I think it was more like a dad wrestling with his kid and just wrestling with him. And and how did that wrestling match in? He said, "I." He grabbed the Lord and he said, "I am not. I am not going to let you go until you bless me." He was passionate about this encounter with God, and he laid hold of God. Peter is a great example of that. Well, that's you walking on water? Well, I want to walk on water, too. He did. He sunk, too, didn't he? Oh, I mean, cried out to God in desperation. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter says, No way. You're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have anything to do with me. This is a mandatory drill here, Peter, and you're going to participate. Do you remember what, he, what happened? He said, not only my feet, my whole body. He was just passionate about doing things well for God. And we see that James and John calling down fire from heaven. Again, that passion needed to be redirected, but I think there's something about that that God loves. And he knows that a body in motion can be easily changed in the right direction rather than a body being stagnant. 
And God wants us, I think, to develop that kind of passion in us. Desperation and passion leads, I think, to one of the biggest characteristics there is in, in measuring our maturity. And it's not having dynamic ministries. It's not being the super saint. It's the person that comes to de- the place of dependence quickly. I think that marks the mature believer. I can't do it. I need help. And God, I'm laying hold of you. It's that person that comes to the place of dependence and, and not self-sufficiency. That's the beginning of God's dealings, right? Paul said that. The Lord told Paul that. My um, grace, Paul, is sufficient for you, and my power is perfected where? In weakness. God wants us to come to that place of dependence quickly in our lives. Now we see Jesus entering the scene. We saw the lepers, and we see um, what the Lord has to say. This is kind of an interesting dialogue. Now let me just read it first, verse 14, but then we'll discuss a little bit. When Jesus said, saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And, and as they were going, they were cleansed. So the Lord Jesus heard them, responded to them. But you know, there was not much dialogue here, was there? He heard them. Okay, go show yourselves to the priest. And, um, and one thing that I, I just appreciated about this whole group is that they really exercise amazing faith. I used to kind of look down at the nine. We'll talk about them in a minute, but, but they really all exercise faith. Why, what are, what are they thinking? Well, we, we don't have anything to lose. Let's just go and see what happens, you know. I don't know what they were thinking, but they all were people of faith. And, um, and before they received from God's hands, they believed and stepped off. And we see that often in the scriptures, um, is, is our faith. We believe to see. The world says, if I see it, then I'll believe it. But you know that if the world saw it, they won't believe it anyway. We believe to see God's goodness in the land of the living, it says in Psalm 27, 13. So they exercised his faith. They were obedient. They did the right thing. And, and the Lord, I think, in that culture, wanted them to do the right thing too. He did not come to throw out the law, but to fulfill the law. So he sent them to the priests. That was the exhortation in the scripture. And I put that chapter on the notes, Leviticus, Leviticus 14. It, it's an amazing chapter, and, and it's really a heavy-duty thing that happens when the lepers were cleansed. It was a multi-sacrifice, multi-week event just to validate that somebody got healed. And, um, and Jesus told them to go and do the right thing. Um, the process was burdensome. I just want to note... On the note sheet, I put Numbers 14. It has nothing to do with this. I, I made a mistake and put that down there, but it's good reading anyway. But it has nothing. I thought about not saying anything and seeing if somebody read it and saying, what does this have to do with this section? But that's just for your information. One less chapter to read, unless you're very interested to see what Numbers 14 talks about. Go show yourselves to the priest. Interestingly... In, in Leviticus 14, one of the responsibilities when lepers came to be healed, the priest went out to them. 
he went out of the camp and he met them where they were and they would report what happened and then he would start them down this conduit of ultra-tedious things. You can check it out, but it's amazing. Um, But when they were walking, they were cleansed. What did they think? I mean, that had to be amazing, you know? I mean, I would have loved to have been a witness to that. Wow. What did they think? Hope. Confidence. Why did only one turn back? That's an amazing question, too. This one, this foreigner. Here's what it says about him, 15 and 16. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And we know that Samaritans were um, um, less than people in terms of the children of Israel. They were, um, um, they were outcasts too. Um, and here this Samaritan who shouldn't have got it, got it. And the nine that should have got it didn't get it. His course was changed. Isn't that cool? I think that's a picture of us, too, when we come to know the Lord. And we, he changes the path of our life that we're on. That word repentance means to turn around. And I think once we repent and get, get lined up with the Lord, he wants us to have a lifestyle of repentance. We're always turning back to him. But his course was changed. He did not walk the same course anymore. Um, and he turned around. He was wholehearted. I love this passion and exuberance. Not only did they say, have mercy on me, but he came back and he fell on his face and he glorified God. And you could just see his heart. He he understood what happened to him. And he understood that he has a new life and he's different. And he just realized that Jesus was the focal point of that and he wanted to give thanks for that. He got it. And God loves it when we get it. Jesus part two. We see in this section 17 to 19 his heart and his mission. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who, to, to, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? He said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus' heart. I think this is an expression that God desires worshipers. He desires people to get it and to give him thanks for that and praise him for that and understand the amazing thing that we're participants in. And we see this in this, in this man here. He, he was just wholehearted in his worship. God desires worshipers, doesn't he? People who get it. People who understand and get the greatness of God and his love and his plan. And that we're actually 
participants in this with God. This, this eternal family that was in his mind and heart way back at the beginnings. And we're participants in it. That should stir us up somehow, shouldn't it? It should just do something in us. In, in Hebrews, I mean, excuse me, in Romans 12, it says that we should present our bodies wholly to God. And, in, and because of his mercy and because of his grace poured out on us, it's only reasonable that we do that. It's only reasonable that we're wholehearted and we give ourselves to him and that we don't walk according to the path the world does, but we're transformed and we walk in a different path. We're not conformed to the world anymore. It's only reasonable, Paul says. Then I think, too, we see in this section a a hint of disappointment, too. Like he has something way better for these other nine, but they didn't participate in it. They didn't get it. And, you know, I don't think these guys were unbelievers. I think we're in that community, too. It's so easy, isn't it, to be distracted and to be neglectful of the things that are priority things, to get our hearts focused on him. It's just easy to do that. And God wants us to be people of priority, knowing what it is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and people of intentionality, that not only we have the right priority, but we act on that. And I think the beginning of that is when we come into the faith and then day by day we just let his word wash over us. It says in Psalm 90, it says this, So satisfy us in the morning, O Lord, with your loving kindness, that we can sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Isn't that a neat connection? Day by day, if we're satisfied with God's mercy and grace and we're absorbed with that, we will sing for joy and be glad every day of our life. If we do that today, tomorrow is made up of a bunch of todays stuck together, right? The future is made up of that. If that's our habit today, he will meet us in that place and we'll sing for joy and be glad all the days of our life. And God wants worshipers. It's only reasonable. Why didn't the nine return? Well, we don't know. Was it religious obligation? They were so intent on doing the right thing? Could have been. I mean, these guys were believing people. They believed in the Lord. And were they preoccupied? Were they caught up in what God had done for them and they were the center of this thing? I don't, we don't know that. One thing we do know is easier to be religious than it is to have a relationship. Relationship trumps religion. Response trumps ritual. Love and worship and thanksgiving trumps obligation. God wants us to be exuberant and filled up with him because we love him, not because we have to. Read some of those verses in, in or those things in Ephesians 2 when we come into the faith. It says we're made alive in him. We're saved. We're raised up with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. I don't know what that looks like, but in God's eyes, that's true. We're his workmanship, his poem created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works that we should walk in them. 
We're people that are transformed for a purpose. We're brought near because of the blood of Jesus. We're at peace with God. We're reconciled with God and with others. We're fellow citizens of God's household. We're built upon the foundation of all that Jesus is and what he's done. And we're being grown up together in this holy temple, this dwelling place of God. What a neat calling is ours. We see the mission of the Lord Jesus and, and, um, um, and what he, the direction that he gave. He said, stand up. Stand up. That's an interesting phrase in the scripture because we see that in a number of places. Psalm 1 is one of those, talking about believers standing strong. Ephesians 6, where it talks about our, our armor, and that armor is all totally related to who Jesus is and, and what we have. Our, we have his righteousness. We have his salvation. We have his truth. We have his peace. We have his sword. We have his shield. And it's all a matter of standing up and rising up and being mature sons and daughters in, in God's kingdom to have an impact. He had this new life. And Jesus said, stand up and, and I'm sending you out. Go and have an impact. Again, our ministry and life in the Lord flows out of relationship. We're not employees in the kingdom of God. We're children. And when we get that and when we rise up and start seeing ourselves the way he sees us, it will have an impact. And what's the impact? It's having an impact in this dark world that we live in. Go. Fully engaged with the world around us as new creatures protected by the power of God. Being eager to show this needy dark world what a great God we have and what he's done in us. And, and King David said in Psalm 4, he says, many are saying, this sounds like our, our culture, many are saying, who will show us any good? Is it worth it? Is there any reason to keep going? Who will show us any good? And David said, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance on me. Shine your light on me. You have put gladness in my heart more than when they get paid, when their grain and new wine abound. Lord, do that work in me. I just want to shine and have an impact on this world to show people how, how awesome it is to know you. When I think one of our desires and my desires personally and one of our desires as the leadership in this church is that we as God's children would get this. That he has strategically placed each one of us in the spheres of influence in the life that we live to have an impact on the world around us. He doesn't want us to live life in a siege mentality, fearful of what's happening in the world. He wants us to be those who assault the gates of hell, to cry out for him, to pull people out of the enemy's domain and look for those opportunities that he gives us and step right toward them and shine that light and tell people what great things God has done for us. He doesn't want us to be, he doesn't want that attitude to be a part of our life, but he wants us to see it as a divine calling. Stand up, Mike. Live in, the, live in who you are in Jesus and go and you just reach out and touch the world around you. 
It's sort of interesting, and I put these verses in Hebrews 13, um, and I encourage you to read them, but it's really interesting. It talks about Jesus being the high priest that went outside the camp to suffer for us. And he says that we have nourishment that the world and the priests of those days had no right to take part of. We have something that's so unique that they couldn't partake in that. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside the camp. I want you to go outside the camp and stand for him, bear his reproach, rescuing people for, that are in that darkness out there. He wants us to be assaulting the gates of hell, going outside the camp like the Lord Jesus did and having an impact on the world around us. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. And, um, and here's the conclusion, and I think... This is from Psalm 116, and the, and the verse that, we, that I have in the bulletin kind of sums that up. But he says, he asked the question, and I think this is the question sort of central to this story, considering nine people didn't get it and only one did. He, King David said, what shall I give unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What can I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And he says, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. I'm going to look at what he's done. I'm going to check it out from every angle. And I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And I think that's our, his passion that he wants for us. He wants us to call on his name and give him praise for his goodness to us and lay down our lives for him because he laid down his life for us. So let's just worship together and concentrate... I think this table is an appropriate ending to this time because it's just another remembrance that what he did for me, his body was broken for me and his blood was shed for you and I so that we can be reconciled to him and effective and useful in his hands. And, um, and then after we come on up and take, partake in the communion and then after we're finishing worship, I'll just close in prayer for us.